0: Hi, I'm Colleen McClellan, and this is So, What Do You Do? It's a show about jobs. You may remember it from July, when the last episode came out. Oops. If you are not subscribed to the newsletter, which only comes out with these episodes, go to tinyletter.com slash so what do you do. It'll be like an occasional delightful surprise from both of us. Let's talk to Jerry Houlihan. Jerry is... An irresistibly charming person. I first encountered her when I was a student at the American Dance Festival in 2007 and again as an intern in 2008. She is a longtime instructor for ADF and her career in dance has spanned the globe. Not to mention, she has danced with or otherwise influenced many of the most important figures in the art form. I met up with Jerry at ADF this summer where, Full disclosure, my sweetheart was acting as technical director. Jerry, thank you so much for being on the show today. <laughs>
1: my pleasure.
0: So before anything, I would love for you to tell me sort of the timeline of
1: your, of your dancing career. Sure. Well, I started out um, as a ballet dancer, uh, went to Juilliard, I graduated from high school in three years, and and so I started as a dance major at Juilliard at the age of 17, thinking I wanted to be a ballerina, and studied with both Anthony Tudor and José Limón, both of whom were huge influences, Uh, but Tudor in particular was, I I mean I would have just followed him through fire and ice, I, I thought he was just such an extraordinary artist and human being, and so What I really wanted to do was dance in American Ballet Theater, because they did all of his ballets. And he arranged for me to audition, and I didn't get in. So I was devastated, and I thought, well, that's that. But meanwhile, he would sent me to an audition for the Metropolitan Opera Ballet Company. He sent me to an audition that was for non-union. And he he said at the beginning, they'll try and take people from the union call. Just as simpler for them. So the non-union audition is just because they have to have it. So I went, not expecting anything. 300 women, down to 100, down to 50, down to 20. And uh, Dame Alicia Markova was the director of the Met then, the ballet company. And I was performing a little company in Connecticut. And uh, every weekend I would take the train out and and perform in this company, and that particular weekend I was dancing Queen of the Willies and Giselle. So it was a Friday, I had to get on the train and go out to perform. And this audition was Friday morning, it was going on and on and on, and I thought, I have to leave, I have to go. So I went up to the um, assistant that was running the audition and said, I was so shy, I'm so sorry, but um, I stand dancing in this company and, I have to be, um, you know, queen of the willies, and I have to get on the train. And she said, well, do you think you could give us another ten minutes? And I was, yeah, I could do that. (laughs) And lo and behold, they gave me a contract. And I'm curious, you mentioned that
0: it was a non-union audition, Mm -hmm. and they tended to cast from unions. Yes. Did you end up becoming a union dancer? You had to. I didn't know that. Yes. Tell me more.
1: Well, in order to dance with the Metropolitan Opera Ballet Company, you had to join AGMA, the American Guild of Musical Artists.
0: No kidding. Yeah. I never knew that.
1: Yeah.
0: Unions, I think, had been sort of like taken for granted for long enough, but now they're really fading.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's
0: really interesting to think about like that being a requirement, mm-hmm. like, just an assumption, like we need you to be part of a group that is taking care of you.
1: Yes, because the operas, you know, the year that I joined was 1966. 1966. So it was the first year that the Met moved from the old Met to the new Met at Lincoln Center. And that first year, they were still figuring out you know, how, how the stage, how all of those instruments worked and how the, the stage shifted, because you could have three different sets rotating. And so if something was particularly um, dangerous in terms of our, what we were required to do in our dancing, we were eligible for what they called hazard pay. Really? If you had a mask that impaired your vision, you could, uh, you could go to the union's representative and say, can we get hazard pay for this? Because I have to go down a ramp with a mask on. I can't really see very well. Really? <laughs> that is fascinating. Okay, so
0: what came after
1: the Metropolitan Opera Ballet? So when it became clear that I was not going to be a star of American Ballet Theater.
0: <laughs> Wait, time out. I love that you were in the Metro- Metropolitan Opera Ballet, yeah. and then it became clear.
1: Well, I auditioned. It
0: became clear to me at age seven. I was never <laughs> going to be the prima
1: ballerina. Anyway, you were saying. So, so, so I auditioned for Luther Chase, and um, after the audition, she said, well, you're a very nice dancer, but she said, you're too tall for our corps de ballet. And you're not strong enough to be a soloist here. So come back and see me in three years. And I thought, you know, I'm taking class with tutor three times a day. I'm never going to be any better than this. And I am not going to get any shorter. <laughs> <laughs> so I was devastated. I just thought, well, that's that. All this training for naught. I'm 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 not going to have the career of my dreams. And I moved home, which was uh, Westchester County. Not very far away. And how old were you at this point? Me too. So what came next? So I started teaching in a little dance studio in my hometown in Westchester. And the woman also had a small company. And she hired a man named Manuel Alum to choreograph a piece for the dancers in the company. And uh, just about two weeks before the performance, the dancer got injured. Her, you know, her leg went one way and her knee went the other. <laughs> way. And they needed someone to learn her role, and they asked me if I would step in. And I said, Oh no 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 no! I'm you know actually I'm a ballet dancer. I'm not really a modern. It's very modern. And I'm finished with dancing anyway. I, I'm i not going to be a professional dancer. I've changed you know all of that. And they said, Well, there isn't really anyone else who could <laughs> learn this piece. And, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of money to hire him, and we'd have to cancel. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. So I learned the piece and performed it. And Manuel, at the time, was dancing for a man named Paul Sanisardo, mm-hmm. who had a company in New York. And Paul Sanisardo came to this performance and came backstage afterwards and said, I find your dancing very interesting. Would you... Want to do some more contemporary dance? And uh, I said, no, 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 not really. And he said, well, you know, I, I think it might be something you should consider. So I'm just going to say that I have a studio on 21st Street in Manhattan. And if you change your mind, uh, I will give you a scholarship. You can come take class anytime you like.
0: Okay, for the non dancer listener,
1: this is the kind of opportunity that young people dream about,
0: <laughs> and I love that you were like, "No, <laughs> <laughs>
1: no." So, you know, a few weeks went by, and I thought, "Well, oh, it wouldn't hurt to go in <laughs> one day and just try a class." And uh, six months later, I was a modern dancer dancing with Paul Sandusky.
0: <laughs> and so, that was for how many years in, in his company? So, I danced with him for
1: three years. Okay. And then again, I hit a roadblock where I just thought, you know, I'm just not good enough. I'm, I'm not, I'm not talented enough. I'm not really, I'm too classical for a modern. And I'm, I'm never going to make it into the ballet company of my dreams. I'm too tall, I'm too <laughs> whatever. So again, I started to think, what else would I want to do? Maybe, you know, maybe a travel agent or something to do with travel or, and, um, I went to Europe to just see what was going on over there. A friend of mine was dancing with the Netherlands Dance Theater Uh in uh, The Hague in Holland. So I went to visit him, and I wound up doing some teaching while I was there. And I thought, well, I like teaching. And uh, my mother's family was in London, so I thought, well, I'll go to London and see some of the family and see what's happening there. And while I was there... Uh, I understood that Laura Lubavitch was in London setting a piece for Valley Rambert. Mm-hmm. And Laura and I had been students together at Juilliard.
0: Oh, how interesting. Yeah. He's about to win, is it the, the Scripps Award, Award this
1: year? Absolutely, That's on wonderful. Monday night.
0: I just got my roommate to watch that um, Robert Altman movie, The Company, with me the other yes. night. And Lara Lubavitch is in it for just a minute. Yes. And it's wonderful. <laughs> so exciting. Yes. It's exciting every time.
1: Yes. So so I thought, well, it would be great to see Lar. I haven't seen him for a while. We were at school together and then spent some time. So I went over to Ballet Rambert and asked if I could observe rehearsal, and they were fine with that. And um, the director of the company, Norman Morris, said, I understand you've been teaching in Holland. Would you be interested in doing some teaching for Ballet Rambert?" And I thought, oh, that would be lovely. So I taught a few classes in ballet, and then I... I had a few classes in Modern and next day I knew the director said, would you be interested in joining Ballet Rambear? So I called home and I said to my mother, who was born in England, would you be okay if I were to stay in London and work with Ballet Rambert?" And my parents were said, well, if that's what you want to do, fine. Next day I go in, ready to sign the contract. And Norman Morris comes to me and says, I am so sorry. (laughs) This this can't be good. And he said, British equity won't let us hire an American. And Lar was standing next to me and said, well, why don't you come back to New York and dance in my company?
0: I love that.
1: And I became a Lar Leveridge dancer.
0: At the time, was he doing as sort of like kinetic... A dance as he was he's doing now,
1: where it's sort of that. Um, I joined a little before that started. I joined, I think, in '72, and um, the dances that you're kind of the sort of minimal, Steve Wright, Philip Glass. Those were probably '75. We okay. started doing marimba. Yeah. North Star. Oh, cool. All those gorgeous dances. So I danced with Laura until I until 1977, and then I got married and moved with my husband to. Beloit, Wisconsin, and he was the chair of the art department there. Okay. I looked around and realized there was no subway in Beloit, Wisconsin, (laughs) and I didn't know how to drive. Oh, dear. (laughs) So I had a a brief period of time where I thought, what have I done (laughs) No. But um, I went to Blackhawk Tech Drivers' Ed, and learned how to drive a car. And I started a dance program. Okay. So teaching ballet. And was teaching that ballet. at a
0: university or was that A Lloyd
1: College. Really? Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't know that. Does, that. does the dance program still exist there? It does. Look at and you.
1: And so here at ADF, I direct the uh, Dance Professionals Workshop. Uh-huh. And there are 22 teachers from around the country. Uh-huh. Uh, and so the first day that they were here, which was the 8th of July... We went around the circle and everyone, I asked everyone to say their name and where they were from and where they were teaching. And we got to this one woman she said, I teach at Beloit College. <laughs> that must be so gratifying, though. I mean, that's such a
0: full circle yes. for a dance and education. Yes.
1: Okay, yes. so you're in Beloit and then... And then I just thought, you know, I, I really thought I could do this, but I can't. I need to be I need to be around professional dancers. I need to right. be doing serious teaching. But the what the interesting thing, um, my husband and I have stayed at least on good terms, even though we divorced, but uh, but I started choreographing there. Okay. Which I think I would never have done in New York because I would have been just too intimidated to try and make work after being in seeing Laura Lukovich and Anthony Tudor and all those dances I I wouldn't have dared, but um, I'm thinking that it would be reviewed by somebody in the New York Times and I would be just, you know, reduced to, no, uh, that would never, (laughs) that would never work. But in Beloit, Wisconsin, it was a very safe place to try making, making dances and seeing what I could come up with.
0: I love that. Yeah. Do you still actively choreograph now or do you? I do. You do. Wonderful. Yeah, I do. Who do you set dances on now? Uh,
1: I just set a work on the Sarasota Contemporary Dance Company in Sarasota, Florida. And in August, I'm setting a work on a company in West Virginia.
0: So what brought you to... I know we're skipping a little bit here in the middle, but what brought you from leaving Beloit um, after taking a choreography and winding up at Florida State? Where you've taught for how many years? Uh, eight years. Eight years. So what happened in between there that put you
1: back in that university setting mm-hmm. and away from New York? Yeah. So I came back to New York and... Um, I was teaching freelancing in the city and okay. running around from one studio to another studio. And it was exhausting, I mean, it was exhilarating, but also exhausting. And somewhere in there, I got a call from kind of simultaneously from Larry Rhodes, who was just uh, becoming the director of the dance program at NYU, and from Danny Lewis, who had been a classmate of mine at Juilliard, who was starting a program in Miami called New World School of the Arts. And they both. Uh, offered me jobs, ah, and so I called my mentor, uh, Martha Myers, mm-hmm. who had been the dean of ADF for 30 years, and said, what, what should I do? And um, we went to dinner, and we talked it through, and she said, knowing you, you know, NYU will be NYU whether you take the job or not, but uh, New World School of the Arts is a brand new program. It's a four-year high school and a four-year college, and you're going in in the second year. So you would be able to really um, influence the way the department develops. You would be in on the ground floor. You would be able to um, really have you know, a, an important voice in this yeah. program. And she said, I think for you that would be exciting. That is such wonderful advice. It's great. And in fact, you know, so one of my students when I first got there was a young man, very talented, uh, who continues to be very close to me, named Robert Battle.
0: Oh, okay. Again, for the non-dance <laughs> listener, Robert Battle has. Does he still have Battleworks now? That no. the company or did, he's with. Who's he with
1: now? He is the artistic director of Alvin Ailey.
0: Holy moly! I'm so out of the loop, ah. but he's so cool.
1: I mean, look him up, Robert Battle. Yeah, that's wild. Yes.
0: I didn't. When did he become the Ailey direct, artistic director? It's been four years now. Again. Okay, I don't feel bad for not knowing that. I was busy. Four years. Four years. Yeah. <laughs> So, one thing I think is sort of fascinating about this little path so far is that it has covered so much U.S. territory and territory abroad. Yes. And one thing I was joking with Dave Herbert about yesterday during his interview, he and I were talking about how small the dance world oh, is. Oh, yeah. And how once you once you meet someone who really speaks to your artistic vision, or just to your personality, it's... It, it makes it a little easier to run into them, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> because it, it, it spans the whole world, but it's a very relatively small community. Yes. So I love that. I love that you encountered Robert Battle at New World. Yes. Okay. So what was next? I'm. I don't mean to this. I did not mean for this to be like a linear, like walk me through your entire <laughs> life. But I've been so enjoying it that oh. you're, you're stuck.
1: Okay. You're stuck. Well, What's next? Whatever, whatever works for you is fine <laughs> with me. I'll try. So. so New World, so I was there for 11 years.
0: Oh, okay, so that's on the long side for being at an art program,
1: Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. For being, like, faculty at... mm -hmm. Okay. And, yeah, and then my mother was diagnosed with cancer, and I felt like uh, I needed to really put my time and energy into taking care of her. So sort of extricated myself, although while I was there, I had a company... Okay. Uh, called Hula Hana Dancers, mm-hmm. and I had that company for eight years. So wow. I made a lot of work, and I had gorgeous, gorgeous dancers. Um, some of them, uh, Jennifer Nugent, oh, who went on to dance with she's so cool. David Dorfman and Bilty Jones and Martha Clark and uh, Gabby Malone, who Gabby. who danced with also with Martha Clark and is dance with the Metropolitan Opera Ballet now. Cool. Um, so that was wonderful, and I loved working with that group of dancers. But, uh, yeah, after my mother was diagnosed with cancer, I thought, hey, I need to step out for a little bit. And I took a break, and um, I was actually here in Durham for a while, and I did a kind of rotation where I taught at UNC Greensboro in the fall. I taught for ADF New York in the winter. Mm-hmm. I taught at Virginia Commonwealth in the spring, mm-hmm. and I taught at ADF in the summer. I did that oh, cool. for a couple of years. And then UNC Greensboro um, wanted me to apply for a full-time position. And I was hesitant, but they said, well, you know, it doesn't hurt to apply. You don't have to accept the job, just sure. apply. So I did. And they, I was their first choice, which was very nice. But the uh, administration couldn't hire me because I didn't have a degree. I didn't even have an undergraduate degree, let alone a graduate sure. degree because I left Juilliard to go to the Metropolitan Alpha. <laughs> so what did he do? So at first I was really irritated, I have to admit, because yeah. I just thought, you know, I've been teaching all over the world and what do you mean I, mean I can't mean <laughs> you, know, you can't hire me because I don't have a degree, you know? sure. There are people who've had professional experience that totally trumps having a degree. But but the world of education in dance had really changed. And so even though I had been tenured at New World, mm-hmm. I was not eligible to be hired at UNC Greensboro. So I just thought, all right, well, you know, if you can't fight the system, you better you better just go with it. Yeah. And Virginia Commonwealth University uh, had wanted to hire me as a guest artist on a longer basis. So they said, we'll help you get your... Bachelor's degree, your BFA degree, uh-huh. while you're here teaching as a guest artist. So it was terrific. BCU is wonderful. Wonderful.
0: And Richmond is such a hidden like, gem oh, in art.
1: It. Yes. It's just, it's, it's wonderful. Yes. Anyway, okay, so you got the BFA from BCU. So I got my BFA from BCU, and then I thought, you know what? I really love being in school. I'm, I'm loving this. I'm taking. Ethics, I'm taking art history, I'm taking all these courses that are just uh, so intriguing to me. And I think I want to keep going. I want to get a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> and just at that time, the American Dance Festival and Holland's University were developing a master of fine arts degree for returning professionals in dance. Mm-hmm. So I was in the second class of that MFA program.
0: Cool. And at that point, how many years have you been teaching ADF?
1: This is my, <laughs> this is my thirty-third <laughs> summer. <laughs> uh, so my first started teaching here in 1981. Wow. So this was about 2005, and I missed it. I think three years because I had a studio in Boston for three years Okay. in the middle there somewhere. Wait,
0: what brought you to, wait, time out,
1: you had, okay,
0: okay, we can skip the Boston Yeah, yeah.
1: It's fine. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I was, you know, what I realized, because we had to do a a thesis concert at the end, you had to do some kind of performance element to this degree. Sure. So I had asked Dan Wagoner, um, who was on the faculty with me at at Florida State, if he would choreograph a solo for me. I, I don't know what possessed me, it almost did me, and but um, I realized that when I left Laura Lubavitch as a dancer, I was 32. Mm-hmm. And when I performed the solo of Dan Wagner's, I was 62. And I so I wrote my thesis about dancing and aging. And the, the differences that you come up against as a mature dancer, um, where where the... The energy and the effort is not so much about how high you can get your leg or how many turns you can do, but more about what you have to say as an artist and what your life history has given you that you can then try and communicate to an audience. It's very different. And I think coming from a ballet mentality particularly, Mm -hmm. and I love ballet and I teach ballet, but back in the day, it was taught in a very strict way. Sure. And there was not a lot of uh, room for personal interpretation or even for your physicality to have much of a variation beyond the kind of Balanchine concept of what a, what a ballet dancer should look like. Hence, hence the big, you know, uh, fuss over Misty Copeland. Yeah.
0: And I, and I love it. Did you see, um, I'm going to bring this up in every episode for the rest of the podcast. Uh, I saw the documentary Black Ballerina. The yeah, other I haven't it's, seen it yet. It's wonderful. I'm, sure. oh,
1: I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing and it's, it.
0: And they, they mentioned Misty Copeland, but they don't, I mean, there's a whole other movie just about her. So it's, it's sort of more about what sort of paved the way for her to, to be doing what she's doing. Yes. And it is fascinating. And even the most well-intentioned artistic director yeah. will say things like, oh, well, ballet... The core has to all look the same. No. Like, it's honoring the tradition. And you're like, no, it's not. You're no. not. No. You're missing the point. Exactly. You're missing the, anyway. Exactly. Anyway. So, you mentioned, you know, dancing and aging. And before we started the interview, you spoke about um, the fact that you you retiring. You're retiring in yes. Florida State. Yes. So, what, after all of this, compelled you to retire from
1: the university? You know, I, I was just talking about this last night. I wondered, I've seen colleagues um, retiring over the past five, ten years. Seems nice, doesn't it? Well, I... <laughs> Actually, you know what? No. Really? No, because I love teaching so much. Uh-huh. And I I kept thinking, why would someone retire? I love doing this. I'm getting paid to do something that I find so inspiring and so delightful and my students are just They're they're a huge gift, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I thought well, how do you know when it's time to retire? How would I ever? So it was really interesting to me that what I did a couple of years ago I went to the Dean at Florida State because it began to dawn on me that maybe I would like a little more time for myself and I said you know, I'm going to be 70 in a, in a year or two and I would really like to have uh, some time for projects that I'm interested in. Um, would you consider letting me do a semester on, semester off schedule? Um, and the dean said, I'm sorry, we don't do that. And so I said, oh, well, I, I understand and uh, that's, that's a shame. Because I think, you know, really, then my only other Uh, choice would be to retire and stop teaching here. And he said, well, uh, which semester would you want? (laughs) (laughs) So that was lovely. And I said, well, spring would be very nice. (laughs) (laughs) So I came here and bought a house here. Here in in, Durham. Here in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do now for a while. I'm I'm a Gemini. So I thought, perfect. Have my cake and eat it too. I can have the fall in Durham. I can have the spring in Tallahassee and summer teaching at ADF. And there we go. I love it. Uh, So the first year, that was great. And by the second year, I realized I didn't really want to leave Durham. Yeah. I I really wanted to invest in being here.
0: I'm not wild about that I'm leaving tomorrow, frankly. I do, with all of this sort of history in mind and with the ways that you've been able firsthand to see the dance world change mm-hmm. and the employment landscape change for artists. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know what did you find to be the hardest part for you and what do you think is the hardest part now for a young person who wants to do what you did? You know be educated in dance and travel the world and mm-hmm. and
1: connect with your colleagues and your students year after year. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that I've been incredibly fortunate so I, I think my Path has been uh, kind of unusual, um, a lot of opportunities have come my way, but um, one of the things that I found really interesting when I took the job at Florida State, um, they didn't really have a position at the moment, but they wanted to hire me, and so they kind of cobbled together a position, and the, the financial package was adequate, but not terrific. Sure. And so uh, again, I called Martha Myers, who a mentor extraordinaire, and said, Martha, what do I do? And she she gave me this advice. She said, I know you so well. I know you're not good at asking for money and that it makes you uncomfortable. So what I want you to think about is I want you to go in and talk to your dean, who you like very much and who is a woman and who understands. Um, And if you can't, justify, in your mind, asking for this money for you. I want you to think about asking for this salary for women, for artists, and for dance artists in particular, who in any university are usually at the bottom rung of any ladder in Mm -hmm. terms of their pay scale and their appreciation by a university program. So I thought that was such good advice.
0: With that in mind, what do you tell someone who wants to make a decent living with dance? And, and you had mentioned, you know, being married and moving and realizing it didn't work, and, you know, amicably, though, the, the, that that mm-hmm. sort of relationship had to end. Mm-hmm. What do you tell someone who gets a job offer, you know, across the country from their partner or across the
1: world? Yeah, that is really hard. I think it's really hard. And I, I mean, I've seen a number of relationships um, and people who are able to pull that off. I think it takes a lot of maturity and trust and... <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really difficult thing, but um, what was interesting to me when I was married, because I didn't know if I would be able to handle a relationship and the kind of commitment I had to dance, which mm-hmm. is very, very all-encompassing. But I think if you find the right person, that that person actually enhances your life and your art and it, it can make both worlds really grow.
0: <laughs> well, Jerry, this has been so different from usual <laughs> episodes of the show, but you are just wonderful. Aww. I'm so I'm so impressed with what you've done and, and how thoughtful you've been about it. That well, is thank just you so much. It's 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 reassuring to hear someone who has had this like career in life say that you're self critical
1: because it's like, Oh well if this woman is criticizing herself <laughs> then like I tell my students all the time, I mean I really did the best dancing. I started to come into my own as a as a performer at the age of thirty. Yeah. That's when I started to really hit my stride. Yeah. So when they're you know, oh, Miss Lyon and they're 22 or 23. <laughs> You're a child. child. You have a good six or seven years before you can even really understand what this is about.
0: I love that. And I love I love that in response to the sort of, like, Balanchineization of dance. And the, like, long, limber, pale, you know, yes. whatever.
1: And yes. I, think it's, I? I, think, I, I think, think it's coming around. I I think it's coming around.
0: It's coming around to be a human and for that to make dance all the better. You're here. And you've clearly played a very large part in that. And I'm so, so glad you could be on the show. Thank you so much, Jerry. I appreciate appreciate it. it. (laughs) And that's that. Jerry Houlihan, amazing lady. Thank you again to Jerry for the interview and to the American Dance Festival, or ADF, for being so hospitable to my microphone and me while we were in town. If a bunch of the names, terms, and references danced, sorry, past you, sign up for the newsletter at tinyletter.com slash so what do you do? Today's issue has a glossary of sorts in it. Music from this episode is by Ethan Stern and by DJ Plie, one of the many musicians who work at ADF. Tune in next time for Curtis Thomas, who is just starting his own career as a dancer, and then come back again for Laura Stein. She co-founded and now directs a program in New Orleans called Dancing Grounds. Curtis and Laura are two of the hardest working people I have ever met, so find out what they do. This has been another episode of So What Do You Do? I'm Colleen McClellan, and I thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.